welcome to episode 174 of the Cricket Hurt Weekly. Now we're going to start with a little roundup of yesterday's action in the Rachel Hay Flint Trophy. Um, so beginning with Stars v Storm at Beckenham, Sid. Well, we were there, weren't we? And we were. It's, it's right there in the background picture if you're watching the video version and it rained. We did get 30 odd overs. We saw a couple of decent catches, didn't we? Rihanna McDonald gay took a stunner and Pace Schofield took a good catch as well. And they were the kind of highlights of it, but then the rain came and didn't let up and the game was abandoned. So yeah, that Sad was times. that. Okay. Stars were in a decent position, unfortunately for them, but say la vie, two points each. Okay, so that was Stars v Storm. Is it two points each? Yeah. Okay, that was Stars v Storm. <clears throat> Just goes to show what I know. Um, over at Arundel, Vipers v Diamonds. Well, they got a few overs there as well, um, but it also rained. The rains came down and that one was abandoned as well. So the rain uh, ends again. Worcester, Sparks v Sunrises. Yeah, I believe Polly Starkey was there, so it rained. Um, Polly Starkey is basically the rain god these days. <laughs> That's so harsh. <laughs> and at Sedba School, Thunder v the Blaze. Well, you're not going to believe this, Raph, but it rained. <laughs> it's not been a great weekend for um, the reputation of English cricket in the sense of the weather. I mean, who everyone, would, everyone who would have up thought points, it? Raph. You, you, hold, you hold English cricket in July, middle of the summer, and an entire four games worth in one competition washed out. So that's feel like we've had more games washed out this year than we've had washed out in the entire history of the RHF. But I don't know if that's actually true, but it certainly feels like it. On the other hand, we didn't have any washouts in the Ashes. That's true. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. Um, yeah, we were going to record actually at Beckenham, um, but uh, we probably would have got blown away slash drowned so we decided it wasn't a good idea um, but we did bump into Alex Blackwell which was great um yeah nice chat to her I met her her gorgeous daughter uh, who's about what, about two years old now sort of toddling around with a little Almost. football uh lovely little kid yeah and so that was that was interesting um so let's talk about the situation in the Rachel Hayhoflin trophy sit um because you Ran your league table software? Have you done that? Yeah, well, I tried to. I got, I got a new computer, F. Um, I got, I got a, a brand new, my day job bought me a brand new uh, MacBook Pro, a top of the range one. So it was about 10 times faster than the previous computer. Um, so I was like, let's have a go at running the table yeah. analysis software. There's only yeah. 25 games left. Do you know how long it would have taken to run the entire program, Raf? How long? 92,000 years. <laughs> oh. Probably so, not worth it because we, we probably wouldn't. will know the actual result by the time your software's finished. Yeah, um, I think we didn't. Have, we didn't have that long. We had to record the broadcast. If I'd asked you to hang around for waiting for ninety-two thousand years, you might have got a bit grumpy. Yeah, and a bit hangry. So, <laughs> so okay. yeah. But the bottom line is, look, that the, it's a much longer season this year. Yeah. Um, you know, all these games left. So basically, you know, every team's still got still got thirty odd points to play for. Yeah. So you know, there's there's no doubt that every team can still qualify. Yeah. Um, and you know we're still quite a long way from that crunch point where teams start going out because it, the and what great news is it that overall that there are so many games for the players to play because compared to the Australian season now we're playing a lot more one day cricket for our domestic players our domestic players are going to come out of this season you know having played you know twenty twenty plus matches so you know and that's not even including the hundred that's so true it's fantastic. and it was interesting because we um alex blackwell was obviously there yesterday partly to sort of get a sense of the the standard um and the sort of situation for english domestic cricket having not really had an opportunity to see um any or, or very much in recent years and and she did actually ask us what we thought of the new system and i said i think it's it's bedding in really nicely um and 
you've got to say that one of the reasons for England being so successful in the Ashes, as we're going to talk about in a minute, um, is is that new system. Um, so credit where credit's due, it's it's working. It's turning out players who have more match practice, more match experience, um, are more professional. Um, it's bringing up players like Danny Gibson into the international setup who are used to a higher standard of cricket. Um, and it's it's doing its job, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, let's talk about the Ashes, Sid, because um, yeah. we have been back at home for a few days. And I've got to say, it's, it's quite nice in some ways, because I feel like I've barely slept in my own bed for about a month, having also, not just the Ashes, but having also fitted in a trip up to Glasgow for a conference. And um, in last week's episode, which we recorded at the Aegeus Bowl, and we should apologise maybe for the, the sound quality being slightly less good than it normally is, because apparently we were stood right next to an air conditioning unit without realising. Um, but I've got to say, I don't remember a huge amount about what I said, because I was so freaking tired. <laughs> Um, it had been a long day um, and I've just done the Wisdom podcast and it was, yeah, it was very tiring. So it has been an exhausting series, but I think that's partly what's made it good for the fans and has kind of captured the attention of the public because there's been all of these close matches, all of these tight finishes. So as a journalist, you're going, you're like tearing your hair out going, how do I write this? Um, but as a fan, as, a, as somebody who's in the crowd or watching on TV at home, it's really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, it, you know, it was a wonderful series to watch, and I think that you know the, the, some of the players have been saying you know, that they they see it as the greatest series that they've played in, and it's because it was so competitive. Um, and I think that you know everyone comes out with credit for that. Yeah. Um, now, I think one of the things that I said last week, if I'm remembering correctly, Sid, um, I certainly wrote this for the Guardian, is that it does feel like it's a little bit of an end of an era for Australia. Um, now, last week we, we were recording just after England had been beaten, pipped at the post at Southampton, um, but then they won very comprehensively at Taunton. Um, I think it's somebody said it was Australia's biggest defeat in, in a decade, um, and that's just kind of quite astonishing. Yeah. And it was, you know, we were actually talking before the match and saying, oh, it could potentially be Australia walking over England because England may have given up in the sense of they can't now win the Ashes. Um, and what is there to play for. But actually, in a way, it was kind of the reverse. It was like Australia had gone, OK, well, we've um, we've already got the trophy. Um, and it looked to some extent like Australia were kind of struggling mentally to get themselves in that, um, you know, to get themselves in the right frame of mind to play that match. So, yeah, I mean, for both teams, it really was one more push, wasn't it? Because yeah. they're so tired, you know, none of these players have ever played a five-day match before. And then the, the, the schedule has been pretty relentless. It has been you know, They've spent yeah. a lot of time on coaches. Yeah. I mean, and, and not only that, Australia, of course, I think we mentioned this last week, you know, off to Ireland. They had no, basically no sleep. Yeah. And they had to get up really early in the morning the night after the final uh, Ashes match and fly to Ireland. And the first match is today. We're recording yeah. on Sunday. Looking but... forward to watching that. That's on yeah. ICC.tv. So. Um, so anyway, I was saying that... Um, that I felt that it was the end of an era in terms of this kind of aura of invincibility around Australia yeah. coming to an end. And I think you actually disagreed with me, Sid. Well, I was so, a little bit sceptical. I yeah. said we needed to wait for some time for it to play out. But it certainly, as you say, it looked like Australia let that tiredness get to them and they were just like, you know, we, we're going to, you know, fold a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, England bowled them out, you know, and they left, lost their final sort of five wickets really cheaply, didn't they? So, you know, yeah. And 
uh, England were the ones that kept at it. I guess that England, you know, saw that kind of prize of winning that the ODI series yeah. as, as a big deal. You know, they'd kind of, again, maybe this is to do with like John Lewis's kind of giving the team some, you know, something to play for, some belief, because England really, you know, did kind of want to win that. At the end of the game, you know, I don't think, you know, we, we looked over at the players and, you know, we got the binoculars out and one of the players were all, you know, sitting by the dugout and they had to wait a long time because they had to build like two different um, kind of stands for the presentation. <laughs> yeah. So there were these guys going out and hammering bits of wood together to build one stand for the Ashes trophy presentation and a different stand for the ODI trophy presentation. So the players were like milling around for about 20 minutes and they all looked like... Mm. From both sides? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Okay. Um, but you know, overall, I think that the party went on a bit longer in the England dressing room after you know after the crowd left. It was it? certainly still going on when we left, yeah. Um, and <laughs> rumours that it was going on well into the night at the Taunton Holiday Inn. So apologies to anyone, any <laughs> any inadvertent guests in the Holiday Inn who weren't aware of the cricket that had just taken place. Um, no, I mean I think it's well worth celebrating for England, um, and because I do think that they have really um, looked. A, a, a much stronger side and certainly have kind of overturned the the you know some of some of our negativity has been proved um unfounded pre-series um and I, I thought it was interesting that Alyssa Healy in the press conference um when sort of asked to reflect on the series she said well actually um it's not the end of an era for us it's the start of an era for England I thought that was an interesting way of putting it I don't really agree with her because I think it probably is the end of an era yeah, for them as well I'm not sure it is because <laughs> but, you know, Heather Knight's coming towards the end Amy yeah, Jones is coming towards the end yeah. Matt Stiller's coming towards the end um, Tammy Beaumont's coming towards the end you know, these were all the you know the key players for England but it's and... the start of an era in the sense of um, you know with with John Lewis at the helm and with um, a some younger, exciting players coming through like Alice Capsey, um, you know, Nat Siver's not not um, any, you know, Nat Siver looks like she's playing better than she ever has before. So we've certainly got a few years left in her. Um, and by, by contrast, um, you know, what Alyssa Healy said was, well, Australia have lost two of our senior players in the last 12 months. So Rachel Haynes and obviously Meg Lanning. And she said, we don't know whether Meg Lanning's coming back or not. Um, it's probably not really fair to speculate, to be honest. And obviously, number one thing has to be Meg Lanning's health. Um, and um, yeah, but but if, if Meg Lanning doesn't come back, then that really does kind of mark this sort of quite clear end of an era because it's her who's really been at the helm. Of the, yeah, it's her that's really been at the helm of all the success. And, um, and Healy has copped a little bit of flack for some of her captaincy decisions, which um, have been... A little bit odd at times. Well, she hasn't made a heap of runs. She's looked very good when she's been out there, but she's yeah. gone out very quickly yeah. every single time. So she's averaging like averaging like I think sort of sixteen, seventeen in the right. entire over the entire series, like including the tests and the white ball. So yeah. And Sid, you've also been doing some analysis of the bowling, haven't you? Which yeah. Is quite interesting. So I thought what was really interesting was the way that it really felt in the ODI series, like Australia gave up on fast bowling. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you know, well, what happened with Darcy Brown? She she wasn't performing. They dropped her and brought in a spinner instead. Yeah. So you know, let, let's put some numbers up on the screen here. Apologies if you're listening to the the audio version, but I was kind of kind of run through them. Yeah. So this is like the Australian, you know, sort of, uh, bowling analysis, and we'll see. You know, their top bowlers, you know, Ash Gardner, Jess Johnson, Georgia Ware, are more at the top. So you've got the three spinners. I mean, obviously Ash Gardner um, had that fantastic performance in the Test. 
Um, but she also bowled really well throughout the white ball stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. she really is. She, she, I mean, she, she's definitely in that league of would get selected just for her bowling yeah. if, if for some reason she couldn't bat, yeah. which she had to bat at 11. So, um, and you know, who's the, the, the top, uh, the top kind of fast bowler is Megan Shoot, but she had a bit of a nightmare. Look at that economy. So Megan Shoot, you know, her economy is significantly worse. That was 7.5 runs and over, and she got absolutely tonked a couple of times. So Australia really decided, you know, to just kind of throw all their chips in, you know, with the spin. And spin, you know, is it's always been perhaps a more significant part of the women's Absolutely. game. Um, but I, I just kind of worry for the future of fast bowling. Now, fast bowling in the women's game is, is, is a really interesting question because the science actually says, um, you know, if you look at quite a theoretical perspective of the science, the science says that fast bowling shouldn't really work in the women's game. Why is that? Well, the women's game, you know, the, the, the most, the greatest speed that we're going to see is people touching towards 80, 80 miles an hour. So, and there's something really important about that, about that boundary. Now, are women going to regularly go above 80 miles an hour? Well, certainly some of them think that, that ultimately they will do, but we've had professional cricketers for quite a long time now, and nobody's really pushing that on a regular basis. The most we're getting is a few people touching towards it occasionally, and someone really occasionally hitting it. Um, and you know, this is probably to be expected. Across most sports, female performance is about 10% less than the male performance. So if the men are bowling you know, sort of 90 miles an hour plus, then getting to 80 miles an hour for the women will be a significant achievement. So I don't think we're gonna see a lot of that fast bowling. And the, the 80 miles an hour barrier is also really important for another reason. The 80 miles an hour plus is the point at which you can no longer see the ball. What I mean by that is that the human eyes aren't quick enough to track the ball if it's going more, much more than 80 miles an hour, and you have to, to a certain extent, anticipate what the ball's gonna do. You have to watch what the bowler's doing and kind of guess. So that's what the men that are, are facing people like Mark Wood are having to do. They're having to basically kind of, you know, a very educated, intelligent guess, they're having to guess where the ball's gonna end up. Whereas if the bowler is bowling at less than 80 miles an hour, the sort of 75, that kind of range, then you can see the ball. So there's a significant difference between the damage that an 80 plus miles an hour bowler can do and someone that's not bowling at 80 miles an hour. So I think that those things are important to remember. And the, the, we can sort of see that in the results that the fast bowlers, you know, that, I mean, they have are taking wickets. Have you looked at the England bowlers? Yeah, we'll come back to the Australia. England bowlers. Well, okay. we'll come to the England bowlers in a minute because the fast bowlers are in some cases taking wickets. Let's put the England figures up there. We'll see that Lauren Bell actually, she, she, but she was also expensive but she did take wickets. So Lauren Bell took 11 wickets, and this is in the white ball stuff. She took 11 wickets. She was England leading wicket taker in the white ball stuff. England gave her a lot of overs. She bowled more than anybody except Sophie Eccleston in the white ball, but she was expensive. Now you're prepared to pay that price for a bowler being expensive if they're taking those wickets. But if they're not taking wickets, you know, as Shoot didn't, you know, Shoot only took six wickets in the white ball, you know, then that expense, it comes, it is, you have to ask if, if that is worth it. And that's an open question, but I just think that, you know, people are going to be increasingly looking at these numbers and going, I'm not sure that fast bowlers are worth it. And that the Australian decision in these series to, you know, focus on spin, you know, might be something that we're going to see a lot more of in the future. I think it's really interesting because I think that some of it is that the, um, the players and the support staff maybe get um, swayed by and excited by all of the, the chat in the media about um, breaking the 80 miles per hour barrier and, and potentially individuals get excited about being, I'm going to be the first woman to do that. Um, but as you say, what we saw in this series was, okay, yeah, Lauren Filer in the test did send down a couple of overs where she was reaching 76 miles per hour in, in, you know, on a couple of occasions. 
um, and it was it did make the the, bat, the Australian batters look uncomfortable because they won't be used to facing those speeds. But she wasn't able to maintain it, um, and she certainly, as I understand it, we don't get the the consistent speed guns. But she didn't ever breach um, seventy six miles per hour, right? So that kind of supports what you're saying. I think that the media have to take some responsibility for this, though, because I do think that there's this thing... The media, and... <laughs> take responsibility, Raph. Well, what, I mean, kind of what you've just said, actually, Sid, is going, you know, oh, you know, oh, bowling above 80 miles per hour is, is more exciting and it's more interesting and it's, it's scarier. And, and actually, what we need to be doing is reframing that and going, well, no, what it means is that women's cricket is more skilled and the fast bowlers have to have more variation and they have to, have, have to be more accurate. Um, and that in itself is, um, you know, those are all skills that we should be valuing more. And we should drop this ridiculous thing of, um, you know, it's often presented as, oh, there's something missing from women's cricket. There's something missing from it because um, nobody's bowling over 80 miles an hour. And then, and then so, pe you know, the coaches become obsessed with speed at the expense of all these other things. And it's like, well, no, the, the women's game, if nobody ever bowls above 80 miles per hour, women's cricket will still be brilliant to watch. I don't care. Absolutely. And so I, I just get a bit cross with this weird obsession with, people bowling a bit more quickly um, and at the expense of, of other things that actually make the game more interesting to watch, like like swing and like some of, you know, Kate Cross's wobble ball. Um, there isn't anything better than watching one of those, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so the other big uh, kind of debate or question that's been raised, Sid, um, is, and partly because of the way that the series turned out in the sense of um, it finished at eight points all, so it was drawn, um, but also England won um, more matches than Australia. Um, so there's this kind of, um, this sort of conversation around the allocation of points in the women's ashes. So the test is worth four points as opposed to two points for the white ball games. Um, and also um, it's an even number of points at the moment. So it is very possible for both teams to finish tied on points, as we've seen twice now um, in the last four Women's Ashes series. So do you think that we should be um, making some changes to the point system? Well, it's certainly something we can look at. I guess one thing that does worry me is that once you start tweaking the points, you can just carry on tweaking them forever to produce the outcome mm -hmm. you want. You know, it's very similar to looking at kind of rankings and stats and things. If you want to, you know, allocate points to something, you wind up like tweaking the points going, well, I think that this should be the outcome. Yeah. Therefore, I'll tweak the points yeah. to, to, to create that outcome. So there was an interesting tweet from one of the Australian journalists saying, well, the, the important, what we should really be looking at is making the test an odd number of points. And this will change everything because then, you know, as long as all the games get completed, then we'll get a clear winner yeah. because, you know, you can't draw it if the test is an odd number of points. And it's like, well, OK, but then you have to decide which odd number. Yeah. Because if the test had been worth five points, Australia would have won the Ashes. Yeah. If the test had been worth three points, England would have won the Ashes. So you ask anybody, every England fan to me, oh, yeah, I think that I've thought about this very deeply and philosophically, and three points is exactly the right. <laughs> every Australian's in there, I've thought, I've thought about this very deeply and philosophically, mate, and I think five points is... I just want to apologise <laughs> to, to all of our Australian viewers and listeners for Sid's appalling attempt at an Australian accent. So apologies for that. We're going to get we're going to get banned from entering Australia by the Prime Minister or something, Sid, if you keep if you keep up with that. Anyway, yes, I I totally appreciate the point that you're making in whatever accent you're trying to make it. Um, that actually, yeah, you can you can twiddle around with the points till kingdom come. But I ultimately think that an eight nil, uh, sorry, an eight all draw. 
at on points in the series is a fair reflection of yeah. where these two sides are. They've been very evenly matched. Yeah, no, you're right. I think the, the, the really silly thing this time was to go back to those, those stands they built, and they built a big stand for the Ashes Trophy presentation, yeah. and it had a huge thing on the bottom that said series drawn, and then the Australians had to have their photo taken holding up the trophy above a thing that said series drawn. <laughs> and you're just like, you look at this, and you're like, to anyone that's not a cricket insider, yeah. this is madness. Yeah. Series drawn, we've won the trophy. I mean, <laughs> were they then going to let England go and lift the trophy with a series drawn? And it, it, if you're a cricket fan, you understand this. But yeah. we work so hard, actually, to try and reach out to non-cricket fans and go, you know, our, our sport is easy to understand and simple, yeah. and you can come in, you can be part of our sport. Oh, and by the way, we've got a thing where... If you draw the series, you still get to hold up the trophy. It was a bit bonkers because obviously, as, as many people have pointed out, England won the match, they drew the series and they lost the Ashes all on the same day. And trying to explain that to a non-cricket fan is very difficult. The other, the other thing on this subject about points is that lots of people have been saying, oh, you should have bonus points if you win, if you win the ODI series or the T20 series. Or, you know, um, if, you, if you win it on a Tuesday, then you get three bonus points. And if you win it on a Thursday, then you get four bonus points. Basically, what I'm saying about the bonus points thing is it makes it more complicated. It's already, already every single time I write a, a piece for The Guardian about the women's ashes, I have to say, by the way, it's multi-format, it's on points, the test is worth four, out. each white ball game is worth two. Um, and you have to just repeat it because people are still a little bit like unfamiliar with this. So to then twiddle it again is um, is actually, you know, it just makes it... And, and to introduce an, an added layer of complexity by having bonus points, I think just might potentially alienate um, some, yeah. some people who don't engage with women's cricket as much as we do. Well, I'm with you, Raf. I think a draw was the right outcome in yeah. terms of, you know, the two very evenly matched sides on the days. Um, you know, I just think it was a bit silly that the Australians got made to lift the trophy at that point. Because um, well. you have you have mooted on Twitter the, the possibility that maybe we should not have this thing in the ashes whereby the holder gets, gets it, you know, the holder effectively gets a leg up, don't they? Yeah, they get to retain the trophy if, if, if the series yeah. is drawn. And I think that, you know, maybe we should look at that and go, but that's silly, especially if you're going to put up a big banner saying series drawn and then have people lifting the trophy over it. I've got to say that from here... Um, I'm kind of sympathetic to your perspective because what's going to happen now is going into the next Women's Ashes, which currently is due to be played in Australia at the start of 2025, um, is Australia are going to get that leg up because they're the current holders, okay, even though this series was drawn. So you could go, okay, well, they got a leg up this time because last time they won 12-4 on points, so they kind of deserve a leg up. They don't deserve a leg up next time because it was drawn. So that's when you have to kind of go, oh, the Ashes thing, the Ashes holder becomes a bit silly, don't you think? Well, I, I agree anyway, regardless of that ref, so. Okay. Anyway. Right, let's wrap things up there. Um, thanks for sticking with us um, throughout the Women's Ashes. Next up is the 100, um, whenever that's starting, quite soon, I think. Um, so I guess we might be talking about that next week. Um, but for now, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye.